0: that he is very sick and he's got a very high fever and you know he's supposed to be here so we're going to pinch it this morning a little bit. Um, He did prepare a really great handout which I am going to use not to talk myself but to give us some discussion and um, uh, proceed from there. Um, I'm getting them, I didn't realize that that copies of his handout weren't here either, so I'm now, <laughs> um, Brad is helping me get them printed, um, so they'll be up in a few minutes, um, but l- this is kind of ironic, because um, my sermon this morning is going to be how, about a little bit about how we shouldn't always be expecting that we're going to have a perfect Christmas, and I am not having a perfect catechesis, <laughs> so, or a really, actually, a perfect morning, <laughs> But anyway, let's open in prayer. This is a wonderful colic that we have the fourth Sunday of Advent. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us through Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. So um, I did take a look, as I was preparing my sermon, I actually did take a look at the devotional for this week. So that kind of, I used some of that in my sermon. So I, I you know, I'm, I wasn't going to ask anybody else to pinch it because I am pretty familiar with the material. N.T. Wright calls this week a time to love. And that isn't necessarily taken from our text today, but it's taken from the, um, the verses that um, he has us concentrate on the rest of this week, which have to do with love. And I do think it's a great bookend to our Advent study uh, when we start out with a time to repent and we end with a time to love because that is where repentance is supposed to lead to, is. Having a deeper awareness of God's love for us and therefore our ability to love others. And so I, I think it's a lovely theme. And we're going to talk about Adam has here, he's passing out these um, handouts for me. Thank you, Brad. And it actually worked.
1: Oh. Of course. Of
0: course, of course, of <laughs> course. It actually is kind of a miracle that you can print a document from your iPhone, isn't it? I mean, like before we would have had to have our computers and all that, but yeah. So anyway, um, so he, is, he has here things to talk about is Advent as a time from love, uh, for love and some passages about love from Matthew's gospel. So we have um, passages here. But first, Adam has us asking and discussing among ourselves, um, suppose you asked a little kid what it means to love somebody, what do you think they'd say? So let's just maybe, where's our little traveling mic? Two of them. Maybe I should just talk from this. I won't have to worry about turning a button on and off. Okay, would anyone like to venture, how would you tell a kid what it means to love someone? Did I misread it? I suppose you asked a little kid, oh, what do you think they would say? Yes. Okay, Bob, you get to answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, judging from a a uh, recent conversation with one of my grandchildren, I would say that she would say that you're so happy when you see her. That's what it means for love. Maybe some
0: of you have a child. Maybe some of you have a child. Oh. Bob said that um, when a child would say, you love someone when you're very happy to see them. That's basically,
3: yeah. Just lovely.
0: Well, that's when people
3: hug and kiss all the time.
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Maybe. Anyone else?
4: So this is uh, just a story from my little sister. When my little sister was three, she decided to pray to receive Christ into her heart, and she went to my mother and she's like, "Mommy, need to pray." and she comes downstairs, and she looks at me, and I'm, like, six. And she's, like, I had this vision of Jesus and all these things, and I'm going to, like, I've just praying this prayer, and I'm, like, looking at her, like, okay, kid. And <laughs> she, I mean, like, because she was three and I was six. And then she looks at me, she goes, Jessie, now I can really love you. <laughs> oh <my>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, um, well, that's just another great story how small children do experience the love of God yeah um, okay. so my
5: son is two years old and is as most two years old two-year-olds are still sometimes wetting the bed at night so I get him up every night at about 11 o'clock to put him on the toilet and he sort of dream peas but every night before I put him back down the last thing he says to me is I love you mommy just totally unprompted. And so I think it's sort of the last thing you think before, you know,
0: in your little dream, I guess. Okay. Those are some great I, thoughts. Um, thank you, Bob, for clarifying. I didn't read that question that carefully. Well, um, I think that Adam was going to give a little small presentation or talk here about C.S. Lewis from The Four Loves where he talks about the four kinds of love, which are affection, friendship, romantic love, and caritas, which is the love that I think is the most talked about in the Bible, which is charity or divine love. So let's dig into some of these scriptures. Anybody who has a handout, would you like to read Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Or you could read it from the Pew Bible, too. Okay, I'll get you on the next one. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, now, I don't have the Greek in front of me, so I don't know which word for love is used here. I don't know if maybe Adam had a little key. But <laughs> um, but let's just talk about what kind of, just we don't need to know the technical Greek word that's being used there. Um, if, just to talk about this, what word for love is used here? And what do we learn about love in this passage? And this, of course, is the Golden Rule. So this is something all of us are very, very familiar with. But I think if this would be a great one for you to maybe turn to your neighbor and talk for a little bit about um, what do we learn about love in the Golden Rule, but maybe also even more than that, how do we live that out um, in our lives? What are some examples of the ways? You know, just, yeah, why don't we talk about that? So I will let you um, turn around and talk to the people behind you and uh, I'll give you a few minutes to kind of talk about that and then we'll resume. Hello um I was hearing some great comments as I was kind of uh walking about, so um some great ideas for yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys talked about about love
2: there you are. well, Jim and i uh. Came to the agreement that uh, these four loves of, of Lewis all have a, a common core that uh, you wish the other well. Right? Yes. Whether it's your children or your spouse or your neighbor or your friend. Um, and uh, let's see, what else did we come up with there, Jim? And one of the things we said is that um, the different types of love that are listed by Lewis uh, uh, tend to overlap with one another That you, you, and you have a different way of e- expressing uh, each of those types but in the end um, Jesus says with the whole heart the whole mind, the whole soul it's with everything you've got
0: Um, let's see, anyone? Good. Yes, I was overhearing your conversation, so I'm glad you raised your hand.
6: So, um, St. Augustine, in his book, *De Doctrina Christiana, on Christian teaching, uh, talks about this passage. Um, and, And in that book, he talks about this passage as a lens for interpreting Scripture. And he says, basically, that um, if you're reading scripture and your interpretation doesn't build up love of God and neighbor, then you haven't understood the passage at all. And then he makes the kind of reverse claim that if, you are, um, if you're not entirely right in your interpretation of scripture, but your interpretation does build up the love of God and neighbor, then you're not entirely wrong, actually. Um, which is a, a more startling claim, actually. And then um, the, uh, the, one of the former um, catechesis directors of this church, Alan Jacobs, took that and he said, if that's true, uh, took that idea and said, if that's true about reading scripture, maybe it's true about everything we read. Uh, maybe we should, uh, all, all of our readings, whether it's Jane Austen uh, or, or C.S. Lewis, whatever we're reading, um, um, what we read should build up the love of God and neighbor. It's, it's a really startling kind of claim. And, and we were talking about then how you could apply that to, to other, other disciplines as well. So, Maybe even writing. Maybe even writing. Jim wrote a
2: wonderful book with Greg Gibson called Charitable Writing, applying that to the creative work, not just
6: receiving work, That's but right. producing. Work. I wasn't going to say that. That's yeah. my—that's my job. That's my job. I asked Britta, should I say that? She said no. Charitable
3: writing.
6: Charitable writing.
3: Okay.
0: Well. <laughs> well we, okay. This is. We're gonna have our library is being um, kind of the footprint's being reduced a little bit because we need the space. But we're also going to be highlighting church authors. So um, you'd be welcome to donate a signed copy of your book. <laughs> so, um, I, you had some great comments. Would you mind sharing a little bit?
4: <laughs> now, um, we were talking about love of neighbor. Um, I guess the framework that I think it has to always come from is we talk about, like, obviously like the image of moving water and how it is like the love that flows from God into our hearts and then out. Um, Because obviously there's like the image of the still water. Like if your heart's just like holding everything in, it's like you're like that still water full of mosquitoes and algae and it's gross. And if you are like the moving water where you receive love from God and you just pour that out over everything and it's always, there's always more water flowing in, right? God's love is always pouring out over us and we just pour it out over other people. And we think of it as like, there's never just like a, a limit. There's never just like, oh, I have this much love. It's like, no, you have like this eternal well of love to pour out over everybody. So do that, right? Because it's the more you pour out, the more the room there is for more water to pour it.
0: I love that, I love that image. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes.
6: I would like any theologian in the crowd to explain neighbor And I know you're going to tell me the Good Samaritan story, but I know it's easier for me to want to stop and help somebody alongside the road than my own neighbor living next to me. So does neighbor just mean anybody but yourself?
1: Um, Okay, so there's a wonderful uh, album of children's music that I was introduced to through Our Nursery. Um, It's by uh, a kid singer whose name is Justin Roberts. Roberts. Um, Just a little. So he has these um, Old Testament stories, CD of music for kids, and New Testament. And his interpretation uh, of these biblical stories is really wonderful, a little bit out of the ordinary and the good Samaritan story the favorite it helped me understand this story better than I've ever had his definition um, his good Samaritan comes along and everyone has said not today I can't help today I have other things I need to do and the good Samaritan comes along and says nobody else is coming today like I'm the one who sees this need and I'm the only one who can do it and it just like flipped this switch for me like if I see the need I'm the one, you know, and, and then, of course, part of that is cultivating your looking for that, right? Um, but it just, this idea that, like, who is my neighbor? Well, you know, my actual neighbors don't need a lot of help from me, except when they do, and if I'm kind of, have my eyes open and my heart open to that, um, you know, it, it's sometimes a bit easier to imagine solving problems further afield, but just that idea, like, I'm the, I'm the one who sees it, I'm the one who has to do it. So not theological necessarily, but in imagination helped me um, re-fit myself into that story.
0: That's that's a wonderful observation.
1: Um, Yeah, I
0: don't don't know, um, I think that that is a great way of thinking about neighbor. It's the person sitting next to you, basically, and Loving them, and if you see a need, then, yeah, trying to help them in some way. Um, Okay, so let's go on to the next passage. We have time for just one more. Um, I do want to read something in terms, I think that fits a lot with what we've just been talking about, and um, this this is something that um, Adam wrote on his handout. An account of love I find really helpful from, of course, Eleanor Stump. Love emerges from the interaction between two desires, desiring what is good for your beloved and desiring union with your beloved in accordance with the nature of the relationship you have with them. And um, yeah. I think that would warrant some discussion right there. What do you guys think that might be about? Okay. Um, This is a philosopher's writing. (laughs) Love emerges from the interaction between two desires, desiring what is good for your beloved. I think that's a little bit what Denise was hitting on. And desiring union with your beloved in accordance with the nature of the relationship you have with them. So I think what that's speaking to is this human desire to be, to be seen and to be at one with the people that we are with. But I don't know, maybe some of you have a better idea of what is being talked about here.
3: Yes. I just might be projecting because um, I've been thinking a lot about a challenging relationship in my life uh, with my sister and how what is good for a person and having a union with that person sometimes feels like they can be at odds um, or desiring what is good for them is not where they want to be or how they want to live their life. And it makes the relationship challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, So just in my own life, I've been really thinking about how to try to thread that needle. Um, So far, I've been coming up empty, but (laughs) hopefully through prayer. Um, I'll I'll, I'll have a little more uh, insight there, but I think the two can be held in in tension a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of us who have challenging relationships.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that really fits in well with actually Christmas too, because I think at Christmas time, we often, we are with family and there are those challenging relationships that are just right there in front of us. Maybe, you know, there's this expectation. We're all sitting around the Christmas table. We all have to be happy and merry. And there's an undercurrent going on. And yeah, what does it mean to love in those situations? I think that's really good. Um, So you had raised your hand. Um, Sarah, would you mind reading Matthew 10, and it kind of fits in with what you just talked about.
3: Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. those who find their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it
0: okay there is a lot there figured out (laughs) together maybe not figured out ponder upon it (laughs) Okay, I think Brad is gonna ring that bell in about four minutes. So um, let's kind of gather back together. And I'd love to hear what were some of the things you guys talked about. Sorry, Brad. (laughs) So who would like to share what your group talked about? It's a hard passage, I think. Yes, Jennifer. Do we have a mic? Okay, great. Thank you, Micah. Mike, Micah.
4: Thank microphone. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, sorry. <laughs> so uh, I can't claim this. Jessica was um, talking about this that it seems like this is probably filia, and uh, because mm-hmm. it's talking about father and mother and son and daughter. Uh, but one thing that Jessica was saying was that. Um, there are certain limitations to philia because it's within your own family. And, and in a way, I mean, this, this is a lovely thing, but in a way, when you serve within your own family, it comes back because it, it builds stronger bonds. So it, it's a lesser than agape in, in some fashion, but there's also something really beautiful about it in terms of how it builds bonds. Yeah.
0: Anyone else? What did any of you talk about? What it means that um, to love your son or daughter more than to love Jesus means you're not worthy of Jesus. What do you think Jesus is saying there? Yes.
2: Uh, all these passages that are so hard and in which uh, Jesus makes the what looks like extreme claims about our loyalty to him uh, are are premised on the whats what per, uh, the first chapter of Colossians says about about jesus that he 's the the beginning and the end of everything, that he's the, the, uh, the principle, <laughs> you might say, of goodness in the universe, mm-hmm. and that uh, to, to be loyal to anything else uh, in preference to him is to be out of, out of whack <laughs> with the universe. Yeah. Um So, yeah, CS Lewis said he pointed out that if if an ordinary person said some of the things that Jesus said, we'd put him in a in an insane asylum.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh and so Jesus can be warranted to say these things only if he is the Lord of the universe. Right? And so it's just it makes reasonable sense that you shouldn't love your father more than you love the Lord of the universe.
0: Right, or yeah. Or your
2: children. Or yes. That's,
0: yeah, um, I loved how you referred, um, Bob, to Colossians, um, because it almost, it reverse it and say, if you don't love me the most, if you don't, if you're not living in my love, you can't really love your mother and your brother and your father. Um, and I do think that sometimes that love, Jesus's love does demand of us more than what we often want to give. And I think that's what's really he's saying when he says we have to die to ourselves. Cause I think sometimes that love of Jesus puts a demand on us, and I honestly think that's a lot of times people, I don't always think, I don't think it's intellectual questions people have. I think people really realize that if I say I love Jesus and I want to make him my Lord and I love him more than anything else in the world, that that's not a, you know, a get-home-free card. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful grace that's given us, but it does put demands on us, too, in good ways. Yes. Yes.
5: So I wanted to add to what Bob said. Um, when I was going through my cancer treatment, I was being mentored by Gosha Stiff, who had cancer four times. And the first time she had cancer was when her children were young, too. And I had... Oh, sorry. she The first time she had cancer was when her children were also very young. And I told her my, yeah, <laughs> I told her my, my fear, um, for the, bo- the boys was actually greater than my fear for myself. And she told me, you have to trust that God loves your children more than you do. And in a way, to me, that kind of informs this passage because it helps us, if we can trust God enough to know that he has a story for our children that is beyond us, she said, there's a reason that he had these boys have a mom with cancer. There's a reason, there's a story to it that's in their future that you cannot foresee yet, but God sees it. And you have to trust that he wanted this to be part of their story. And you have to understand that that's part of his way of loving them into who they're becoming as men of God. And so for me, that helped me learn how to love them differently as a mother than a mama bear kind of love <laughs> um, where I felt like I could control things or help them through that experience more than God could.
3: Thank you.
0: Um, that, that is so beautiful. And I, I just love this format, I have to say. I mean, I just love hearing from you guys. You have so much to say. And hearing from your experiences, I just think it really is a part of what it means to be a community. So this is our last catechesis for this season. Um, in Epiphany, we're going to come back. We're going to have catechesis um, on the, I think it's the ninth that we come back right before classes start. And Father Rob is going to be leading us in another friendship hour, um, Ailred's hour. That those of you who are here earlier and heard Mark Clemens and he'll have some really great questions for us to talk about. And then beginning um, the next Sunday, um, Matt Milner is going to be doing a three-week, three sessions on the Virgin Mary, which is a wonderful way to celebrate our epiphany season. So we have a lot to look forward to in January, and thank you so much for coming this morning. Godspeed. (laughs)